if you want the notes, Karen is passing those out now. So it's your opportunity as we get ready. If you're on Zoom, now is the time to uh, mute your microphone and turn off your camera. Our Stephen. Uh, Fixes all that. And uh, now we we wait until the signal comes to us. Just like to welcome everyone joining us uh, via via YouTube right now for our live stream. It's only one part of our service here at Chelsea Community Church with City Temple. If you want to be part of the whole thing via Zoom, drop us an email or you can come down and visit us in person here at uh, Chelsea Community Church. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to look in two places. First, John chapter 17, part of the high priestly prayer of Jesus, and then to Revelation chapter 18. John 17, and then Revelation 18. Before we read, let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for your word. I thank you that we can depend on it, that we can trust it, because it is a faithful revelation of your will to your people and your ways to this world and the truth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that by your spirit, you'd speak to us today through your word. And I pray that you let your spirit rest on me, that I could bring your word to your people boldly and faithfully, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In John 17, we pick up with verse 14 and Jesus' prayer. He's talking to his Father, Heavenly Father. He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. And then we go to Revelation chapter 18. <clears throat> We read uh, about this city called Babylon at the end of time. This is John writing. He says, After this I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid, has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. 
mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore, cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep, horses, and chariots, and slaves. That is human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet adorned with cloth, gold, with jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste. And all the shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and all whose trade is on the sea stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city, where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth, for in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon the great be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of the lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints, and of all who have been slain on earth. After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven, crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with their immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who was seated on the throne saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And from the throne 
came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you His servants, you who fear Him, small and great. May God bless to us His reading from His Holy Word. Sometimes it's hard to read passages like that. They're so strong. I don't know if you've seen The Wizard of Oz, but if you haven't seen The Wizard of Oz, you're probably familiar with The Wizard of Oz. And of course, you know the storyline that uh, Dorothy and her little dog Toto are in Kansas and a mighty uh, tornado comes and uh, rolls through the farm and she wakes up and she looks around and it's gone from black and white to color and uh, she looks around and she says, Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. And it's such a classic, iconic thing that whenever we go through a time, I don't know about you, but whenever I go through a time where all of a sudden I feel like I'm in strange territory, you know, I say, oh, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. Well, I think we're at a time, certainly in church history and in the history of the West, where we need to look around and say, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. Because the truth is that we now live in Babylon, not Israel. We live in Babylon, not Israel. And I'm going to explain that. But this has been a prophetic reality as well as something that we can actually observe. So it's something that God has spoken to us. And it's something that anybody with eyes to see can look around and see. And this is really, for us at City Temple and now with Chelsea, this has been an outworking of more than three years of prophetic input that the Lord has given us. And we can see it. it, And if you want to go back and, and look at various sermon series we've done, that where God has been preparing us not to be in Kansas anymore, you can do that. We have the series I preached in June of 2020, June, July of 2020, which was called The Church is God's Agent for Disruption. And then in the autumn of 21, we did Ancient Words for a New Day. And then at the beginning of 22, uh, we did uh, a series called City Temple in 2022. Uh, And then in the autumn of 22, we did a series Stranger Aliens. And all of these have been speaking into the revelation that God began to give us with some degree of clarity back in January. Now understand too, uh, we are not the first in this and we're not the only ones in this. We're not the pioneers in this. There are people, I think that the Lord has been showing, his prophets, he's been showing this transition to Babylon for quite a number of years, for quite a number of years. And really for us here in the UK, And in the United States, this transition has been occurring in earnest since the turn of the century, since 2000, 2001. But God is preparing us for such a time as this. And part of the series that I'm doing now is preparing us to live in Babylon. To do that, to understand that, we need to first understand what Israel was. And I'm going to do this in some broad strokes. We could take a lot of time to talk through this. 
but I'm going to do it in broad strokes. When I talk about Israel in this sense, I'm speaking of Israel figuratively, not literally. You know, so we're not talking about the historic Israel in the Old Testament. We're not talking about the current nation state of Israel. And we're not talking about the future Israel that is the fulfillment of end time prophecies. We're using Israel for us more like a metaphor. Israel, or sometimes we'll call it Jerusalem, is a social cultural, social cultural system that's shaped by and intrinsically promotes historic Judeo-Christian values and perspectives. So any socio-cultural system that's been shaped by Christian faith and tends to promote Christian faith, you could kind of call Israel. Now many people know that uh, one of the early kings of, it, uh, of England, and uh, I, I think it's Alfred, but uh, don't, you know, don't hate me if I got that wrong, uh, decided that he would base all the laws of England on the Ten Commandments. That's what we're talking about. And we saw, especially in the 1600s, moving solidly in the 1700s, we saw a shift in England and in Scotland to where both nations sought to promote the Christian vision for the world and Christian values. That's Israel. That's what we're talking about. Israel, the society that you could call Israel, favors Christianity, it respects Judaism, and tolerates other religions. But it always will favor Christianity. A society that is like Israel esteems Christian churches and Christian leaders, especially ministers, as valued members of society. And they believe that Churches and ministers make an essential contribution to the society so that they should be valued and respected. In uh, Israel, Christians have a tremendous influence in the society and in government. So if you look back in, the, say, the 1950s in the United States, if a bunch of Christian ministers got together and told the government they should do something, even if the government consisted mostly of non-believers, they would listen and they would do something. That was even true here in the United Kingdom. The church had a, a powerful, powerful influence. That's one of the reasons why we abolished slavery. It was Christian influence in government through people like William Wilberforce. Now in Israel, in the, this kind of Christian society, not everyone is a Christian, but there's an unspoken assumption that everybody will eventually become Christians if given the right opportunity. So in Israel, you don't assume that everybody is a believer, but you assume that if everybody truly hears the gospel of Jesus, they will probably respond unless they're totally reprobate and completely lost. That's Israel. Certainly not where we live in today. Uh, and in Israel, traditional capitalism is the economic system. Now, I know this is a little bit controversial, and I'm not going to unpack it at all, so you're just going to have to trust me on it. But traditional capitalism is the economic system in Israel, and it's governed by honesty, fairness, 
property rights, and other biblical values. Other biblical values. Uh, the government in Israel is a limited government that's a government by the people and for the people that's based on biblical laws. You see that in the transition when the parliament said, okay, king, this is your role and this is our role and kings are limited in their power and influence in Israel, in the government where we live. The social institutions, things like schools, hospitals and the like, are founded on and even promote Christian values and a Christian vision for humanity. So the idea that a little child that's prematurely born should be cared for, protected, and nurtured to health, that's a Christian idea. In much of the world throughout history, say in Rome, in ancient Rome, one was just as likely to toss that premature baby to the side and try again. The value for life comes out of a Christian context, out of a Christian society, even if it's not a Christian promoting it. There's an honor and respect for people and human rights in Israel, in this Christian society. Now, historically, if you want to look for us here in the United Kingdom and the United States, the shift to Israel really began, I think, with the Protestant Reformation in the early 1500s. It was solidified in the 1700s when we had what's called the Evangelical Awakening here in the United Kingdom. And in the United States, we had the Great Awakening. And the gospel swept across the United Kingdom and the United States, giving birth to the modern missionary movement and many other things there. This peaked in the late Victorian era through the 1950s and then began to decline in the 1960s and then started transitioning out to the new reality in the noughties, in the early part of the century. So that's Israel. Hopefully you get a sense of what we mean by Israel. When I started as a pastor back in the 1980s, I started ministry in Israel. And somewhere along the way, it became Babylon. And I didn't know it at the time. I didn't recognize it fully at the time. But there was a shift. I mentioned last week that when we first went to the Isle of Lewis back in 2004, the Isle of Lewis, the culture of Lewis was very much Israel. And in less than 20 years, or yeah, in less than 20 years, it shifted from Israel to Babylon. And it's very visible. You can see what was going on there. So what's Babylon? You know, if we're living in Babylon, we need to know where we're at. Because if you wake up in the morning and you look around, it still looks like the same place, right? It looks like the same London, the same England, the same United Kingdom, unless you've got some history. And you can see things differently. You know, so what's Babylon? What are we talking about? And again, historic Babylon was a literal city, a place, an empire, that it was the, the place of the 70-year exile of the Jews from Jerusalem because of their disobedience. So Nebuchadnezzar came in, he took over the nation, conquered the nation, and brought, take, took people into exile and destroyed the temple. And Babylon is also the name given by God in the book of Revelation 
for the global socio-cultural system that arises fully before the coming of Jesus, second coming of Jesus. So the Bible is talking about a system that influences the globe. Maybe not every nation is part of it, but it's a socio-cultural system, global system, affecting all aspects of our life, all aspects of society, all aspects of trade that comes into prominence before the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I believe that the Babylon we're living in now is the beginning of the transition to the Babylon of the future. It might go up and down a bit, but I think what we're seeing now happening largely in Western nations is going to continue to spread out and influence almost all the nations of the world at some point in time in the future. Maybe not fully now, maybe not in the next decade, but that still means that we're living in Babylon now. So the Babylon now that we're living in is a demonically energized social-cultural system that influences our society. And a lot of people don't even, you know, people in government, they don't necessarily, they're not necessarily aware that they're in Babylon as God's given us this revelation. But it is a socio-cultural system that's demonically energized, and it influences what uh, sometimes is referred to as the seven mountains of society. Uh, and the seven mountains, uh, and you see this in, in uh, chapter 17, verse 9, also in the passage we read in verses 22 and 23. Um, you see that the seven mountains are education, religion, family, business, the government and the military, arts, entertainment, and sports, and the media. Now, some people list a slightly different list, but broadly, those are the seven primary areas of influence in our society. And Babylon influences all of those. Babylon controls the arts, music, industry, energy, family life, and generates a sense of materialism. And that's the culture we're living in right now. That's the context that we're in. And this Babylon, as a socio-cultural system, is hostile to the gospel and will produce many abominations and impurities, which are mostly disguised as something good and precious but they're abominations and they're impurities. They look good. You know, things like the, the, uh, uh, the, the grabbing on uh, to the rainbow and the rainbow symbol. It's something good in the Bible and it's being misused, not used in a biblical way. And we see that in Babylon. That's in our system. Everything's influ being influenced. And this Babylon that we're living in is a counterfeit polycultural movement. Now remember, we talk about polyculturalism as God bringing us together like this in the kingdom. So that as I became part of the kingdom, as I became part of this church, I ceased to be an American primarily. I'm primarily a citizen of the kingdom. 
And Jovan is every bit as much my brother as any blood brother would ever be. And that's because of what God has done in Jesus Christ. He's united us. Well, Babylon is saying, no, we're going to bring all the nations together ourselves. We'll bring all the nations together in terms of trade, in terms of globalism. We'll bring all the nations together in terms of style of music, in terms of what we're listening to, in terms of what we're doing, in terms of our values for a society. Why is it that Western nations are trying to pressure non-Western nations to adopt policies that are contrary to what those nations believe. That's the spirit of Babylon working to try to say, okay, you can be your nation, but you have to adopt our values. It's another kind of colonialism that many people in, in the Western nations, UK, US, they don't even recognize they're doing it. But it's every bit as wicked, even more so than what's gone on before than what's gone on before. So these Western values, clothing, entertainment, they're influencing the world right now. And that's a Babylon strategy. It's a counterfeit, counterfeit polycultural movement to influence the nations, peoples, multitudes, languages, and bring them all together in a common system with the common values. And we're also living in a different economic system. There's an economic system for Babylon that is not capitalism as it's historically and traditionally understood. Now, I, I thought that I was the only person that felt this way until actually I was doing some research for the message today, and I found that there are a ton of people, including many non-Christians, who have noticed this transition as well. I call it Neo-feudal capitalism is like feudalism was in the Middle Ages. In the Middle Ages, you had people in government that would give, like the king, that would give special power to lords who would own great swaths of property, and they would have serfs, people who had to live on that property, and would exist at very, very low wages, staying in poverty while their lords got richer and richer and richer, and then occasionally they would have slaves that they would force into serving them. And that's kind of the whole medieval uh, economic system, was a system of serfdom. Well, what we've done is we've taken something that looks like capitalism, what I would call pseudo-capitalism, or false capitalism, and we've replaced, used that to replace true capitalism, this neo-feudal capitalism, or one guy called it techno-feudal capitalism, if you want to get a longer, a longer line for it. So what happens? It's where the 1%, you know, the one percenters, and the elites, that's the next 9% or so, the people that have extra power and authority, they may not be part of the 1%, but they're part of that next stratus, and they're multinational corporations, control or influence, a fake or false capitalism in which the majority of people serve as serfs or slaves. <clears throat> we think slavery was a big problem 200 years ago. Do you know that there are more human slaves now globally than there have been the rest of history combined? And that's happening 
because of this feudal capitalism, neo-feudal capitalism. This Babylonian economic system is doing this. So what we call capitalism today is no longer genuine capitalism. It's been transformed into a, a different kind of structure for economies and societies where the new lords are controlling the lives of common people. And we're seeing that expand. And the problem is it's called capitalism, so we think, oh, we should all embrace it. Now, this economic system, the Babylonian economic system, promotes consumerism and materialism. Because if you can consume and you have a few material things, you assume that you're well off even when you're not. And it's much more easy to control you if you're able to buy some stuff that will make you temporarily happy. And that's what's happening in this Babylonian system. And so in this system then, more and more, the few get rich at the expense of the many. And you can see it. The economic system here generates wealth at the expense of people. They create slaves and they steal souls. And that's the system that we're living in. And now that your eyes are being opened, you'll start to see it. You'll start to see how it happens all around you. And Babylon right now is the dominant influence on the rulers of the earth, particularly those aligned with the West for the moment. But this Babylon system is even influencing people like Putin and Xi Jinping as they react to it. A lot of what they react to is Babylon. And it's leading to the distortions even in their own societies. Now Babylon gives power to world leaders through both giving them prosperity and forcing them to compromise. And the more you're willing to compromise in Babylon, the more power you will get. Now Babylon will expand across the world. However, Babylon will fall. But for now, it's increasing in power and influence globally. And so that's your primer on Israel and Babylon. We live now in Babylon, not Israel. And this is key, because if you try to live in Babylon like you lived in Israel, you will fail. You cannot serve the Lord in Babylon like you serve the Lord in Israel. In Israel, for an example, in Israel, if you pick it, uh, say a film, it will force the film producers to stop showing the film or to make changes in the film that everybody will accept. That commonly happened in the 50s, 60s, and even in the early 70s. In Babylon, if you pick it a film as a Christian, more people will go see the film. And a film that would have died a quick death because it was terrible will go on to make a profit. And an example for that was the film, the Scorsese, was it Scorsese? I don't want to blame him. Uh, the Last Temptation of Christ. It's an example. 
So you cannot live the same way. You're following the same God. We're serving the same Jesus. But we need to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, as Jesus would say. So we're looking, how do we live in Babylon? Now that you know what they are, how do we live in Babylon? Because when the Israelites, the Jews, were taken into, cap into exile, into captivity, they had to live there. And they prospered there. How did it happen? That's what we need to learn. And let me tell you, a lot of Christians are not learning it. A lot of Christians are not learning it now. But they will. They will. So, how do we live? God commands us that we come out of Babylon as God's people. We come out of Babylon as God's people. As John says here, uh, as the Lord says through John, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. This raises a really big question for us. And the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at two other questions. But it raises a very big question for us. It's a dilemma. It's something that has no solid answer, but it's something that you have to work through. How do we come out of Babylon while still living in Babylon? Because we have to live here. Coming out of Babylon doesn't mean that we all need to move to Antarctica. So how do you come out of Babylon while still living in Babylon? Well, we come out of Babylon first. We need to understand why. Because we're not of Babylon. So how we come out of Babylon is remembering that we don't really belong here. This is not our home. This is not our destiny. This is not our future. As we looked last week, we have a new city, a new Jerusalem that's coming in the future. So we don't live, we don't, uh, we don't belong here in Babylon. We're not of Babylon. We have the word of Jesus, as Jesus said in his prayer in John 17, 14. We are not of the world, just as Jesus is not of the world. We're not of the world. We need to understand this. We need to understand that Jesus is praying for us right now that we are kept that we are protected from the evil one. So that means we're not of Babylon and we don't have to fear Babylon. Because Jesus is protecting us. He's surrounding us in this season. And we have been set apart. We have been made holy by God's truth. So as we live in Babylon... Understanding that we're not of Babylon means that it, this is not our future home. Jesus is protecting us while we live here so we don't live in fear. And Jesus has made us holy and the holiness of Jesus cannot be stained by the evil of Babylon. And we have to understand these things to come out of Babylon. And we have to come out of Babylon to engage with Babylon for the kingdom of God. We come out of Babylon, interestingly, to engage with Babylon. Jesus, as he said, has sent us into the world. That means right now, Jesus has sent us into Babylon. 
Jesus has sent you in your workplace. He has sent you there knowing that you're working in Babylon. And he has sent you there to be an agent of his kingdom wherever he sent you, wherever he's placed you, whether it's a school, whether it's a job, whether it's a hospital, whether it's a community organization, wherever you are, God has placed you there. Jesus has sent you there as an agent of his kingdom, knowing that he's sending you in Babylon. But remember, you don't have to be afraid because you're not of Babylon. You're protected by Jesus and you've been given the holiness of Jesus if you've been saved. So we've been sent there. Jesus has sent us into the world. Jesus will keep us set apart to himself, even as he sent us there. And we're going to see God doing astounding miracles while we go about our lives living in Babylon. Sometimes they're going to be so astounding, if you don't pay attention, you'll miss them. But there's miracles. We've seen so many miracles at City Temple. Things that God has done, ways that God has protected and preserved us. Now, coming out of Babylon to engage for the kingdom of God means that we have to refuse to compromise and give in to the division and values of Babylon. You cannot compromise, you cannot give in. You need to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. It doesn't mean that you have to be in your face about what God has shown you, about the truth that you know, but you need to be careful. You need to be wise. Daniel, when he stood before Nebuchadnezzar, you know, he didn't initially say, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, you're a false king and you worship a false god and I spit on you. You know, if he'd done that, his head would have been missing and the book of Daniel never would have been written. So we've got to exercise wisdom. And that means we cannot, but we cannot, we, we cannot compromise or give in to Babylon. You cannot effectively engage with Babylon if you live with Babylonian attitudes and actions. You cannot. I mentioned Daniel. You know, in the beginning, what did he do? He said, I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to drink the wine or eat the meat sacrificed to idols. Let me eat only vegetables. He stood his ground and God prospered him. And that was what gave him the ability to be as faithful and fruitful as he was. If Daniel had compromised there at the beginning, there would be no book of Daniel. He would have been lost to history. Remember my first roommate at university claimed to be uh, Christian, I'm not sure that he was, but uh, he would go out drinking. Now in the United States, you can't drink uh, alcohol until you're 21. And he was 18, and he'd go out drinking and partying with people. And when I challenged him on it, he said, well, I'm only doing that so I can witness to people. Well, guess what? He didn't lead anybody to Jesus. And he left university early, and I don't even know if he's still following the Lord. That was a lot of years ago. So you cannot engage with Babylon if you compromise with Babylon. Only walking in integrity. Now the second thing we have to do, a third thing now, come out of Babylon to engage with Babylon. Third thing is we have to refuse to share in the sins of Babylon. If you share in Babylon's sins, you will also share in her brokenness and woundedness. 
You have to keep yourself pure in the Lord. That means you need to repent quickly when you do sin, because we all do. You say, Lord, I just messed up. I'm sorry. I ask you to forgive me. I, 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 I refuse it. I renounce it. And I choose to do the right thing and replace it with good. Just repent immediately. If somebody wounds you, and listen, if you live in Babylon, there's going to be a lot of people that hurt your feelings. You know, I'm frequently in groups of people who forget who I am. I remember I was with a group of ministers. This is 20 years ago, 21 years ago. We were all talking, and, and uh, they're all English guys. And about halfway through the conversation, they start talking about Americans. And they were saying everything that I agree with about Americans. Uh, and, but they were being a bit critical. And about five minutes into that part of the conversation, suddenly they stop, and they all look at me, and then one of them says, well, well, you're one of us. And then they kept going, you know. So, so I, I, you know, consider that a position of honor. But I've also been with liberal Christians, Christians who have given in to the spirit of Babylon, who start, you know, criticizing uh, what they call evangelical Christians. That's Christians who believe that Jesus really died on the cross, rose from the dead, that you need to follow Jesus. You know, and they'll be criticized and they have no idea. You know, they won't even think about me or acknowledge me. And it's easy to have your feelings hurt, to be offended, but you can't take offense. You just need to forgive and move on quickly. Now, the next thing, in order to come out of Babylon, you have to keep, you have to maintain and protect your allegiance to Jesus Christ alone. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We are loyal to Jesus and Jesus alone. My loyalty is not to the king of England. My loyalty is to the king of kings. And thus it will always be. And that has to be our commitment. Because your allegiance will be tested. I guarantee you, your allegiance will be tested. So make your mind up now that you're going to keep that allegiance. Also, you need to keep close to other Christians. We cannot live in Babylon alone. We have to be in the community of faith. We have to be closely knitted with other Christians, building Christian friendships, spending time, spending energy to be with Christians as much as we can, even as we're engaging with people who are in Babylon. You need both. We need engagement in Babylon but we also need engagement, strength from one another. We need to remember the future. All the time, every day, remember the future. Babylon is not the future. God will judge Babylon, and Babylon will fall. God will give judgment to us as his people against Babylon, against all the unrighteous and unholy things Babylon does to us. And we've just begun to see the kinds of persecution that are going to arise in Western nations, and so on. To come out of Babylon means that we need to live faithfully for Jesus by grace through faith in Jesus every day. When you get up in the morning, say, Jesus, I'm going to serve you today. And when you mess up, His grace is sufficient for you. And when you're weak, cry out to Jesus and He'll increase your faith. 
We live faithfully for Jesus by grace through faith, just like we're saved every single day. Now, a few months ago, I felt the Lord saying to me, as part of this Babylon uh, revelation, that Babylon is a wild place, but a place of new opportunities for those who are obedient. Your old maps do not work in Babylon. Your old ministry practices do not work in Babylon. Forget what you think you know and listen to me. Obey me and trust me. And I think that's the Lord's encouragement. Because right now, Western Christianity is not prepared for living in Babylon. Just like the exile came quickly for the Jews, so this tornado that's moved us into this Babylon has come quickly. And many people look around and they think they're still in Kansas when they're definitely not. Much of Western Christianity has already sold itself to Babylon because they weren't paying attention. You can see it in the music industry, Christian music industry. You can see it in Christian publishing, but in many, many other areas. I could go on, ministries, churches. They've sold out to Babylon. And we cannot do that. We must not do that. So we must prepare ourselves and our churches to live in Babylon. And we must live not in fear, but in faith. We must live not in pessimism, but in hope. We must live not in legalism, but in grace. Because we are going to live victorious as God's people, even as we live in Babylon. While we're in Babylon, we must remember our role in the flow of God's history. Friends, we were made for such a time as this. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for how you're leading us and guiding us. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just continue to rest upon us. Lord, show each of us how we need to come out of Babylon this week. Help us to apply at least one thing to our lives this week that we've heard today so that we can live in victory over the spirit of Babylon, so that we can recognize this new social-cultural system we're living in and learn how to follow you in the midst of it. Lord, I pray that you'd help Chelsea Church flourish. I pray that you'd help City Temple flourish, even in the midst of Babylon. You're going to do great things, and we trust you and we have faith in you. And we know that you have already delivered us from the world. You've delivered us from the evil one. You've delivered us from Babylon through Jesus Christ our Lord. By grace, through faith, in his death and resurrection. And we love you and praise you and we thank you for all this. And we pray all this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, let's join in singing.